Hey everyone, welcome back to the Triumph Over Trauma show. I am joined here, guest. Very excited. This is our first time having a guest on the call, uh, on the show. So very, very excited. And just a, a reminder, um, we are here to share stories of everyday people. Um, why? So we can learn tips, tools, techniques, strategies, you know, mindsets on, on how people have overcome different challenges in their lives uh, so that we can we can better overcome adversity in our own lives. And as far as the format, we work through a process where number one, uh, we sh- myself or face. Two, they'll share how they overcame or got through And three, they'll share uh, what they learned from it. So let's get into it. All right, uh, David, can you hear me all right? I can. Great too. All right. So thanks for bearing with us, folks. This is this is our first time. So this is uh you, you all are guinea pigs for our first guest recording. And and oh, despite coming through our own adversity of kind of getting the tech stuff set up, I think we're ready to rock and roll. So joined here by today by a very special guest. This is Mr. David Redding, who is a partner at TLG Law Firm and also a co-founder of F3, uh, which stands for Fitness fellowship and faith which was which is a men's fitness and leadership tell you i firsthand um, I've, I've been a part of this i've learned a whole lot through this group friends and neighbors who are part of this so very very happy to have um david on the call all right and david anything else you want to share about about as far as the bio uh no i mean you summed it up i'm a uh, lawyer in charlotte have been for over 20 years I have a little law firm, about eight litigators in my firm. And uh, with another guy named OBT, uh, we founded, co-founded F, what is now F3. At the time, it was just a workout uh, on 1111. So just over 12 years old. And uh, we went from having a single workout in Charlotte with about 30 guys till today. We're in 49 states and I think 11 countries or something like that. Uh, and we have over 50,000 men participating, uh, without ever charging a single man for a workout and, uh, really having no budget whatsoever or any plan as to what we were doing. So goes to show you what having no money and no plan can do. <laughs> well, that's perfect. You're, you're on the right. You're, we're in, you're in good company with having no money, no plan. So we're, yeah, you know, no money, no plan. <laughs> so there you go. Well, massive action, right? Massive action. Yep. And, that, I, and I can tell you, I, I've. I have traveled to different states in work and personal. You know, I remember as a springtime, we went to to Hilton Head Island and, excuse me, summertime, and was able to look up, up and join a workout. Great group of guys. And that's a beautiful thing. Like, there's these, these are free workouts. We're talking a great workout as well as, you know, making those friendships and peer connections. It's, it's much more than a workout. It's also, um, you know, I think friends joke they say you know this is we say it's a workout but it's also it's therapy it's friendship it's also camaraderie there's so much more that yeah so i think there oh, is go ahead david it's, it's no i was just going to emphasize what you said i'm glad you said it that way it, it is much more workout it's kind of a bit of a tagline uh but uh it i think it's very true well let's let's get it um so the first part is and i, I know you know david you have many stories uh, i've i've read you know very, very well published and 
many, you know, many, many mediums. So, you know, I would love to, you know, hear one of your stories, whichever one you're comfortable share or interested in sharing today, you know, going through that format, if there's a story of adversity that, that you faced, um, kind of, you know, tell us and, and our listeners about it. Really excited to just hear from you and, you know, whichever one you want to pull out of, of, of the different things that you've seen in your life. Sure. You know, uh, starting with the idea of adversity, you know, being something that is an obstacle in my mind. That's the way I think of it as adversity is an obstacle to movement. Uh, and I think I was probably like a lot of kids when I was young, say in high school, that I would look at adversity at, at, at an obstacle as kind of a stop sign, you know, mm-hmm. uh, whatever direction I was traveling, I, I would, I would see it and stop. And what I didn't realize was that was, that turned me into a quitter and nobody told me that. Uh, and I, I didn't really know. I just, if I, I would think that was a rational choice. If I hit adversity in the form of an obstacle, I would simply stop. And uh, I probably would still be doing that today. Uh, when I was in college, if something hadn't happened, I, uh, I read this book and I wish I could remember what book it was. It, was, it wasn't a self-help book or anything, it was a novel. Uh, and in the novel, there was a, uh, a, a character who was not any kind of religious believer, like he didn't view adversity as something that God placed in front of you to make you stronger, which is how I see it now. Mm-hmm. But just as as chaos, something that was unwanted. And instead of seeing it as a stop, he saw it as a fork in the road. And his decision-making process, he simplified greatly. So he didn't sit down and make a bunch of lists like, uh, here's the advantages and disadvantages of going to the left or to the right in the face of this obstacle. He just boiled it down to one thing. Which path is more difficult? When facing those two paths, which one goes uphill and is rocky and which one is, is downhill or smooth? And he always chose the more difficult path. That was the only criteria he had. Because over the course of his life, he had found that it was the more difficult path that always led him to the better place, even though in the immediateness of the decision-making, it seemed like it would be better to take the easier path. And uh, I'm a very, I like to simplify things. That's my hard wiring. And I, I just love that idea. So here I am like 20, not even 20 years old. And I adopted that as a methodology in the face of adversity, rather than see adversity as a stop sign. <coughs> To see it simply as a as a, a fork, and to, and to just look at it and say, man, which 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 path do I not want to take? What seems harder? And then take that path. So that that I, that was an early, I guess you would call it philosophy or mm-hmm. or theology, I guess of mine. But uh, this is long before I became a believer uh, that I am now. Uh, but I started putting that into practice and. Very early into my college career, I was actually a sophomore, halfway through my sophomore year, I had a chance to put it into practice in what seemed like at the time a, not an existential uh, threat, but a, but a big threat to me at the time. My father had a business reversal. Uh, he was a small business owner and he called me on the phone and uh, he said, I have some bad news. I can't pay for your second semester 
I can't pay. But no, I, I can pay her second semester of your sophomore year, but that's it. I'm not going to be able to pay after that. And I was uh, in college in Boston at the time. I would, was, I'm from Connecticut, but I was in college in Boston. And uh, I, I said, okay. I mean, I wasn't hugely upset by that. Uh, I was just kind of stunned. Mm-hmm. And I sat down and I thought, all right, w- what can I do? I mean, I guess I could go home. I could, uh, I could enlist in the military. I was just thinking about it. And I looked down at the, at the coffee table in the apartment I lived in with my roommate. And he had a postcard from the college's ROTC department addressed to him. This is 1982 or 83. And Ronald Reagan was building up the military at that point. It's like post-Vietnam. And it essentially said, if you have a pulse and you need <laughs> tuition, uh, we have ROTC scholarships. So I, the next day I took this card and I went to the ROTC department and I walked in the door and there was a, what I found to be, didn't know at the time because I didn't know anything about the military. There was an, an army major there and I said, hey, I got this card. It's not to me. And he immediately grabbed me. And he said, that's okay. Threw the card in the garbage. Takes me, pulls me back into his office. I found out later he's the, he was the recruiter. So he stood by the door. <laughs> and he, he had a live one on the, on the line. Anyway, he, you know, he pulls me back into his office. This is, I don't know, May, April or whatever of my sophomore year of college. By June, I was in a basic training at Fort Knox. Now, I'd never been in the military, but, you know, I had no connection to the military. It just, as opposed to going home, maybe going to community college, mm-hmm. you know, joining the army as and joining ROTC was the harder path uh, in the face of chaos. So uh, that's what I did. Uh, and initially, it's funny, this recruiter, this major, and I remember his name was Anderson. When he was convincing me to do this, he said, well, what do you, what would you like to do in the army? I was like, well, you know how many jobs are kind of like business jobs? You know, mm-hmm. I was a business major. He goes, oh yeah, you know, you can, you know, it's very much like that. You know, you, you know, you're basically an army businessman. You, you know, you're distributing ammunition or you're, you know, I was like, he just fed me all this BS. <laughs> anyway, I go to basic training at Fort Knox. And I end up just embracing the idea of being an infantryman, going completely the other way. And uh, by the time I get through basic training and I come back, I, I want to be in the infantry, which is the hardest thing you can do. Uh, I had to do four years uh, to pay off my scholarship. You know, I did nine years in the Army. You know, I, I, I embraced it. Uh, and it, it altered the course of my life or... That was the course of my life. I just didn't know it. And all this had been was me accepting that that, that path was the path that, that God intended me to go down. And he just kind of put a, you know, he put a, a, an obstacle in the path. And because I, the only choice I made really was to stay in motion, to adapt and stay in motion. And that really has been what I've done ever since then. I've never worried about adversity i've always viewed it as something as an opportunity rather than a uh a stop sign and just when i see chaos i just figure out a way to adapt to it and i have found that that early 
philosophy of whatever the harder path is, simply take that. That that has never let me down. Uh, and now, you know, 25 years later, I became a, a believer and I started to view that those obstacles not being random, you know, being those were indicators or signs. Uh, doors closing or, you know, they were divine and uh, by design. But it worked out the same anyway, you know. So that's that's kind of my story. And then, you know, I could tell you 50,000 stories of adversity and finding a way to keep on moving and how they came out. But that's 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 my primary story because that's really the first one. Oh, I, lo- I, I love I love how you, you shared how you thought through this and how you kind of at, at time it felt right. But obviously, you know, you have a different perspective on that now and that. It's also counter to, you know, what human nature, right? Human nature is to take the easier path, is to take the thing that, the, as they say, the path of least resistance. But we are, you know, I believe we're, you know, and to overcome things. And that's what, that's been the story of, uh, you know, of, of mankind for, for years. So this is, it's interesting how reading, you know, consuming a good book, applying that helped you think very differently about it and apply that mindset into what you did not only in that decision but many things to come really really fascinating um yeah i love your worst your use of the word resilience uh and i'm borrowing heavy heavily from a uh an author named nasim talib when i say this he, he wrote uh, black swan but he talks about uh adversity in this way and he says resiliency is good-ish it means that you are capable and willing to pop back up when you get knocked down but what you really want to be is durable and that means you don't get knocked down in the first place so uh, I think in terms of durability in that way and the best way to become durable in my mind is to subject yourself to uh, what I'll call, I don't generally term it this way, but I want to, I want to dovetail into your podcast, is to subject yourself to to mini trauma. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually think of it as little doses of chaos, but it, it's kind of the same thing. Uh, so um, if you think of uh, trauma as being a deeply distressing or disturbing experience, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a mini trauma would be a I suppose distressing or disturbing experience, not deeply, right? Yes. So, a a form of mini trauma or mini chaos that is important in my life is is an F3 workout. So you go to an F3 workout. All our workouts are outdoors. They don't have to be, but the great majority of them are pre-dawn. There, so you're in the cold. You're in all sorts of weird weather. Uh, you subject yourself to the leader who is the leader of that day, what we call the queue, and you. Uh, essentially agree to follow his instructions for 45 minutes. I mean, so you're, you are injecting yourself with a little random chaos for 45 minutes Mm -hmm. or, or a mini, a mini trauma, right? For 45 minutes, you don't have the governance of your own time because you're doing what the other guy says. Mm -hmm. You, you are subjected to cold. You're subjected to periods of limited visibility, which uh, for human beings is, is unwanted. And then, that 45 minutes, if you do it every day or even every other day, it makes you more durable. 
because you over you overcome it every every single day. I, I would say that the same thing about listening to something that you don't want to hear, say an, an unwanted opinion. So we are in today's cultural world, which I call goo because it's the the philosophy of universal happiness. Uh, the idea of listening to something you don't want to do is called violence, or, or you don't want to hear right words that you disagree with, or someone's opinion that is con- confrontational to you.、Uh, well, that's a that's a mini trauma. I mean, there's one way I would, I would agree on one level. Yeah, it's a, it's mildly traumatic、mm-hmm. in the sense that it's distressing or disturbing to listen to an opinion or words that you do not wish to hear, but it creates durability to do so. And to suppress that, to say, "Well, I don't want you to have to hear that. We're going to silence that,"、mm-hmm. is it makes you less durable. In the same way that if you say, "Well, instead of going to a workout that's outdoors and and subjecting myself to that pain, I'm going to go to a climate-controlled gym and use a、uh, elliptical trainer because I can get off at any time I want. I'm in control." And I can also dial it down or dial it up. I'm in control, and I'm not facing. I'm I'm not subjecting myself to that chaos. I don't. I think I'm not criticizing using an elliptical trainer in a gym. I'm saying, in comparison to、mm-hmm. subjecting yourself to an outdoor workout over which you have no control, it's going. To, it doesn't have as much capability of providing you with that distress and disturbance that makes you more durable. So, yeah. So for me, those mini traumas—you know—using the way you would put it, or when I say chaos—they build you up and make you more durable, so that when you face a major trauma, a mm-hmm. deeply mm-hmm. distressing experience, you're far less likely to be knocked down, and 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 you're far more likely to、uh, be able to react to chaos and to adapt to it, and adapt and that adaptation. Is making、uh, rapid and necessary changes to stay in motion.、Uh, so I consider myself to be an adapter because over time I I have developed that I'm, I'm that that way by hardwiring, and over time I've developed that 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 durability. And the other end of that, if you're not an adapter, you're a controller, which is when I face trauma or adversity or chaos, I try to control that in some way. And I think over time, controller get very frustrated because, by its nature, you can't. You know these chaotic、mm-hmm. situations you find yourself in. I mean, you you can't control them. There's no there's there, you don't have the ability to do so, and thus you have a tendency to stop. I, I don't know what to do. You, 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 I don't know what to do. I don't know how to adapt. I can't control it. So I choose to see life. I see. This this piece of adversity as a stop sign. Yes, paralysis. Paralysis. I don't know what to do, so I stop. So that that I, I that's why I think I, I like your idea of your podcast because、uh, it's when you say triumph over trauma, that implies that you haven't stopped.、Mm-hmm. That you you ran into this deeply distressing experience, this adversity, this obstacle. And you gain victory over it. Now,、uh, triumph, in its most general sense, is, is victory, right?、Mm-hmm. Or success, 
but it has a specific actual meaning in history and, and in Roman history. And a triumph was actually a celebration. It wasn't the act of it. It was so when a when a general, a Roman general, achieved victory over the Gauls, for instance, you know, basically the the southern French, the Germans, their big uh, opponent. When they achieved victory, the general who did so was entitled to a triumph, capital T triumph. He got to march into Rome at the head of a ceremonial force. And the citizens of Rome would gather on the streets and celebrate that, and 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 engage in a little bit of secular worship of them. And this this triumph was was not the victory in Gaul; it was the celebration of it back in Rome. That was the triumph, and that's how I think of of triumph myself, which is a celebration of what you did. So you faced. Adversity slash chaos slash trauma, you kept in motion and then gained dominion over it, victory. And then to celebrate that with at least one other person is the triumph. To say, you know, in every what we call the concentric of the people, the most important to you. To to and in my law firm, we say we post a W. So mm-hmm. no matter how no matter how small. So one of my one of my young lawyers. Uh, has a a court victory of some kind, they we we broadcast that to everybody. I call that post in the W. That's the triumph. Like I faced this adversity, I overcame it, and here's the W. And the rest of us say, you know, way to go, man. That's that's great. We celebrate that. That's your that's your processional into Rome of sorts in a very small way, right? <laughs> in a very small way, and because that encourages that encourages the lawyer. Uh, I do that with my children when they achieve something, uh, some victory over chaos. We have a triumph. Like way to go! Let's celebrate that. So that I, I love your idea here. You know, I I may be taking it out of context or misstating it in some way, but that's the way I that's why I reacted to it when I saw your uh, LinkedIn message, triumph over trauma. I'm like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's how you create durability. David, I I well, first of all, I'd love to say that. In this understanding of Roman history and and the and the, that aspect of it, absolutely not. But you just evolve, right? What this is, and the celebration. I think there's also something he said about that. So not just, but also public recognition. And this is essentially what we're doing here. We this right now we're telling stories. I think it's important for people to hear this because it's something that you can learn from. It's it's behavior that you can model. It, it gives you hope. It gives you it, it build, helps build mental durability, and I, and I love the idea of the chaos and the mini traumas because essentially what we're talking about here is stress, and people like to think of stress negative thing. I'm stressed, stressed out by this. When actually, um, if you think about when you've done something that's too easy and you don't have stress, that also doesn't feel very good. The goo thing you mentioned about to kind of you know, perpetual happiness. There's we we crave some sign of some kind of challenges my my sons if they're not being challenged in sport right your your these bodies or minds were made for having some kind of difficulty or resistance or things to work at where we're made for work not for just kind of sitting and just that's why you can get kind of you know antsy eventually so i love this idea of subjecting your being exposed essentially it's training yourself for it's the training 
So yeah, I, I love how you t- you weave all those together. When you when you when you think about that experience that you had, or even adversity in general, what are, what are some other any other key things you've learned through that experience with you know that choice that you made, the, the harder path? Yeah, I I the key thing is that the key takeaway of all that is I don't I'm not in control of anything, and so you know when you're young you think in terms of control, right? Directing the actions of others and determining outcomes. And the older you get, the, the, the more clearly you realize how little control you actually have. Mm-hmm. And uh, the nine years in the Army, in the infantry, I was in the infantry and special forces, that will disabuse you of your, your boyish notions of control very quickly. Uh, because if it can go wrong, it does, right? Murphy jumps at you all the time. And, and you see that. And as a litigator, and I've been a litigator for 25 years, 26 years, that reinforces it. Every, you know, if it can't go wrong, it will go wrong. At this day, in my, I'm 59 years old, so I'm in my 60th year. I've turned 60 this year. I, know, I, never, I no longer think of in terms of control at all. Zero. I only think in terms of dominion. And I have dominion over only three things that touch and concern my life. The first one is what I call input, and that's what I put into my mouth and my eyes and my ears. I mean, I have dominion over that, and I, I get that we could be in a, a famine or something, and I wouldn't, and there's also days when I'm eating at somebody's you know, house and I'm, and I'm gonna eat what they serve me, but for the, for the most part, I decide what to put in my mouth, and I decide what to see and hear. I have dominion over that. Uh, the second thing is I have dominion over my heart, and that's the purity of not my thoughts because I can't control those, but I have dominion over how my thoughts become feelings and emotions. So if I have a lustful thought, like I see a young, beautiful woman and my brain says, young, beautiful woman, sex, you know, blazons in my male brain, you know, which at 60, I'll, I'll tell you as a man, that doesn't change. Uh, now, <laughs> I don't have control over that thought but I have dominion over whether it turns into a lustful feeling and emotion. I can, I can do that. That's within my dominion. So I have dominion over whether if something, an unwanted event occurs, I have dominion over whether that turns into anger. I have dominion over that. Now, the third thing is I have dominion over my output. And that's essentially my words and deeds. What comes out of my mouth, I have dominion over that. And what I do, I over, I over, I have dominion over that. So uh, the pure, I think in terms of purity of heart, uh, integrity of output, and wholesomeness of input. Those three things. Uh, I focus my energy over exercising dominion over those three, and the great rest of the world, all the chaotic things that can happen, I have zero control over of that. So. I will give you a concrete example uh, that I'm working through right now. There's nothing I can do about whether or not the United States government exerts control over the southern border of the United States. Nothing I can do. Politically, where you Mm -hmm. land, you may think it's a good thing to have an open border. You may think there's nothing I can do about any of that. The fact of the matter is that many people who speak Spanish are entering our southern border, and many of them are in Charlotte, North Carolina. I meet them all the time. 
and they need to be ministered to, and they need to be lead, to, to, to have leadership. They are essentially Americans, whether they are uh, have citizenship or not. I don't have any control over any of that, but I can learn to speak Spanish. I have dominion mm. over that output, and I spend at least an hour a day working on it because the reality of on the ground the adversity i face is an increasing number of people living in my city who do not speak english and i could scream it on the top of my lungs how they should speak english i could get mad at the governance for not controlling there's a lot of things i could yell about and they wouldn't do any good the one thing in my dominion how i can adapt to the uncontrollable circumstance of that mm-hmm. is i can learn i can learn spanish and that's what i'm doing So that would be a concrete example of how I, I put it into into effect in my world. That's that's a great example, David. And, 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 and I guess as, as we're as we wrap this up, I heard you know three things here. First was that obviously this beautiful story about you know faced with basically a, a loss of a funding for your college education and how you know how would you re- uncontrollable you know chaotic event in your life and. You chose to enroll in ROTC, kind of take take the harder path uh, options, and that changed, you know, where where you've gone and what you've done and what you've achieved and who you've grown into, and what you've learned is you don't have control of all these things. There's we don't have control of our external environment, just like the example of expand, but you do have dominion over your inputs, your thoughts, and your outputs. I think it's just Love how you kind of pull that all together, and I know we're we're wrapping up here. I'd love to just know if for any of our, our listeners, if they would love to learn more about either three, how could they follow you or support you? Well, great, thanks. Uh, so uh, I'm very active on Twitter. That's the main way I communicate uh, the ideas that we've been talking about today, and my Twitter handle is at dread cnc at d r e d d c n c at dread cnc. I have a website. Uh, which a lot of these ideas uh, that we talk are set out in in, in blog form. What I could call a book because it's somewhere between a blog and a book. Uh, and that website is collisionlearner.com. Collisionlearner.com. And if you're interested in F3, and I hope you are, you can find more about it, the tenets of it, and where to find a workout and how to be involved at f3nation.com. F3nation.com. And I'd encourage anybody who's interested in any of those things to uh, to go to any of those places and uh, and learn about it. And I appreciate your time, Old Bay. Uh, I'm glad you're with us in F3, and I'm honored to have been on your podcast. Well, the references in, in you get a you get a, a nickname or alias as, um, as you do the workout. So Old Bay with Maryland reference is mine, and uh, Redding is. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Um, Let's, let's use these tools and apply them to those the many traumas or, or larger traumas in our lives. All right, take Bye care, bro. and we'll talk next time.